welcome to the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clark. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society and I'm your host here on these podcasts. Uh, do uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast. You can subscribe uh, on YouTube by clicking uh, the button and the notification bell. You, you can subscribe uh, if you're an audio listener on your regular podcast provider. And you may even be able to rate and review the Church Society podcast. So uh, if you've not yet done that and you're a regular listener, we'd love it if you could say uh, what you think about it. Uh, this week on the podcast I am joined by Jake Eggertson and Chris Moore. Uh, Jake, uh, why, don't, why don't we start with you? Tell us uh, whereabouts in the country you are, tell us what you do, tell us who you have been locked down with. Thanks Ross, uh, lovely to be with you. I'm Jake Eggertson, curate at St Paul's in Banbury um, along the M40, kind of in the middle of um, the country and I've been locked down with my family, Nicola, three children three young girls and um have you have you been in the spectre of homeschooling indeed we have (laughs) (laughs) which has come with challenges and joys (laughs) great uh and chris tell us about you whereabouts are you and and who have you been locked down with and what do you do uh hi ross i'm a rector of a group of four parishes which are in herefordshire so that's on the welsh border towards the bottom and um, I'm yes, yeah, so retro of those parishes. I have been locked down with all my sons. I've got five sons, and uh, one of whom, the youngest, was doing his A levels uh, when all this began, and the others who are in sort of various forms of other bits and bobs. And one of the uh, my eldest son also uh, brought with him a girlfriend in tow, so she's been staying like the lady in the van on our driveway in a caravan. Uh, so it's been it's been busy and. Um, Yes, it, yes it's, that's when you're suddenly, has not been peaceful. Suddenly very thankful for enormous rectories. Do you have an enormous rectory? I have an enormous five bedroom detached rectory and half an acre of uh, gardens with a cherry orchard at the end and a stream running through it. Oh my and I'm, word. I can walk out of my front door and I can walk down to the river Wye or walk up the hills and it's, uh, you are it is Eden. Living the dream, absolutely. absolutely. So yes, yeah, so a full house, but not quite the same spectre of, of young children being homeschooled, taking your full attention no. all the time. No. Good. Chris, um, back in April, when we were sort of near the beginning uh, of all of this, uh, life that we have been suddenly becoming accustomed to. Um, you wrote a little bit for us on the Church Society blog about what you were doing um, in your benefice and, and how that was working you were doing. I think you were just starting to get going with some video services, but also doing uh, emails and, and even, I think, uh, letters to, to people in your parishes. How has your ministry developed over the last few months? Is that the, the sort of pattern that you stuck with? Did you try new things? No, that that was basically it. The first thing I did was to very early on start a daily devotional email that goes out. It's not long, um, probably sort of three, four paragraphs. And that's carried on all the way through. In fact, I my the app I use to write in tells me I've written 60,000 words of these emails uh, going through. So normally speaking, during the week, there's a sort of pattern. It's always Church History Tuesday. It's always Hymn Story Friday. And then on the Sunday, I do a longer email, which is um, a sort of it takes about five minutes to read. And that's a kind of sermon on one of the passages for the given Sunday. And once a week, I then print those off and I put them in envelopes and post those to the people who uh, aren't on email, which is a surprising number. So that's meant that I've had sent out, I've got 100 email addresses who get that every day and then a further 20 envelopes who get that once a week. So it's got a high proportion and not on email. 
then we started doing video services, which it kills me really because I, I'm not very good at being on camera. Uh, I've got we can do responses, we can sing hymns in the services because our bubble is large, and all my children are well drilled and will sing uh, when we ask them to sing, and we've alternated that between prayer book and the common worship service because half my parish is a prayer book, half of them are common worship, and they go up onto YouTube and we get about sort of 50 or so views a week so again it's not big numbers but I know that people do watch them uh, and that's something and that's really been the pattern and then it's the usual background stuff of phone calls no end of funerals I've done a lot of funerals I've done in fact I've done almost a year's worth of funerals uh, over this period um, so that takes a bit of organising but apart from that that's, that's yeah, been your main we've stuck to the model we've stuck to the model I have yeah. to say I, I am really impressed because I uh, when when we did that back in April I think I, I watched one or two or, or some of your kind of early video stuff and the new stuff that's on the website that when I was just sort of checking last week I'm so impressed with how you have the sort of liturgy and the video you know it feels like there's been some technological upskilling that may have happened yeah, that's my eldest son. He oh, okay. is technologically upskilled. Yes. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, that I mean, that's another advantage, isn't it, of having large family at home? Is you've got a built-in congregation and tech support. Um, Jake, and we just... have our own web server, which helps. Okay, great. Jake, yeah. just tell us a little bit about your church in Banbury. Um, what what it's like normally, and what it's been like over these last few months. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to check out Chris's website straight after this. Um, sounds great. <laughs> Um, Banbury is a bit of um, an urban centre, really, surrounded by lovely Oxfordshire countryside. Um, so it's a mixed area socio-economically, and our church very much reflects that. Um, our parish contains um, a big estate called Bretch Hill, and um, where Gordon Ramsay grew up, actually. And um, so, yeah, we have two services normally on a Sunday morning um, and then evening in Bretch Hill itself, two different sites and um but since lockdown we've gone to one live zoom service on a sunday morning um which again has massive pros and cons um it's enabled us to stay connected in a way that i i don't think people were expecting and um has been a blessing to many um but it's also meant that we have uh, you know the technologically challenge struggle to to get along so we, we try to do other things for them um posting dvds or letters and things through doors and um ringing round and that sort of thing yeah and it's interesting that so you uh have chosen to do that through zoom and so has that meant that um have you had any people who are not normally part of your church family been able to join that or has that that felt quite sort of um, focused just on the, the church family that you already had? It's mostly focused on the church family we had um, and we felt it was responsible of, uh, of us to sort of look after the, them and the community, especially those who are vulnerable. Um, but yeah, surprisingly, we have welcomed some visitors and people have seen on our website that we're holding live services and have asked to join. It, it's right. uh, it's not easy for them because they have yeah. to get in touch and ask for security and you know there are safeguarding issues surrounding that um so we've had to work really hard at just being careful and wise and um yeah about that um but yeah praise the lord some have joined us which That's is lovely great. that is great I and mean, it's, it's the, one of those things that churches i think have all been trying to balance is that that sort of how you do that 
appropriately for your church family but also wanting to be open and and different ways have different pros and cons um just both of you as you now look back over the sort of four months or so that it is because it, it does feel like we're beginning to move into a new phase and we'll we'll talk about that in a moment but as you look back over the the last four months what have been the encouragements and what have been perhaps the disappointments um that you've seen um in terms of what god's been doing uh, in your churches i don't know who wants to kick off with that uh chris we had you first last time so let, let's go back to you again okay thanks um i think the encouragement has been that people have responded well to the emails that have gone out what i was really hopeful was it was a way of keeping connection between uh the church and the people or people themselves during this period and i know we'll talk a little bit about how we might be coming out of lockdown in a moment but it's certainly been the case that i think we've bought some of the fruits of that has been seen in the numbers who've come out back out to church again over the last couple of sundays and it's also been a good opportunity to get people thinking more about their faith during the week and I can be more, I said blunt, in what I'm putting out via email as well, and perhaps challenging some areas and talking about where God is in suffering and this kind of stuff. So that's been an encouragement. And I think as well, it's forced us, well, it's really forced us to engage more um, with the website and online, which I've always sort of shied away from, really. I don't do social media. I'm, I'm a very typically antisocial Anglican rural vicar who just likes being left alone. So it's helped me overcome some of that. But also, I think um, it's demonstrated to me how poor our offer has been to our housebound people, of which, of course, in ageing congregations, there's only going to be more of. So it's really said to me that as we come back out of this lockdown, we've got to keep our game high for those who are at home, those who can't come out for whatever reason. And also the fact that not every one of my parish churches has a service every Sunday. And so, you know, people having a fortnightly pattern of worship, um, really, I should be, have been doing more for them in the intervening Sunday. So we will change what we do when we come out, but it has been encouraging. That's, that's really great, isn't it? And that's certainly been one of my prayers all the way throughout. And I feel like I say this every week on the podcast that we aren't just aiming to go back to what we were doing in February, that we should be learning things that we will be wanting to do better as we go forward, even when all the restrictions are lifted, whenever that comes in. So that's really great that, that that's opened up some of those things um, for you as well. Have there been things that, that have been a real sense of, of sadness or, or disappointment uh, during that time as well, Chris? I think the sadness has, has come, um, we've had three members of congregations die in this period and the sadness has been that we can't have a funeral or couldn't then have a funeral for them in church so that's something which would have been very much part of what the church would have done uh, it's a very tight-knit rural community so we would have expected you know, large services and and I think the sadness has been as well for those who really have been very isolated uh, during this period some people are used to it farmers are used to that kind of isolation they just get on with it but others haven't been used to that and I think you know and that sense of just not knowing um, if people and who's getting overlooked in this I think that's been the real issues I think the funerals is a big thing isn't it for a lot of people I think that sort of public expression of of coming together to grieve and, and shared experience in that I think that there will be quite a lot of perhaps sort of long term having to process that uh, in different ways for people. I, you know, this was years ago now, but when my grandfather died, I was living in America and, and 
for various reasons, it didn't seem the right thing to do to come back for the funeral. But it was, it you know, sort of six to 12 months later that I realised that I hadn't really dealt dealt with the, the sort of grief of losing him because I hadn't been together with other people in that process as normal. And I wonder if there will be some of that uh, needing to come out uh, as we go forward. Jake, what about for you? What have, what have been the, the sort of great encouragements and, and also the disappointments and sadnesses perhaps? Yeah, for me, the two go hand in hand, really. Um, and I can go and agree with all that Chris has said. Uh, it really resonates with our experience, too. Paradoxically, it seems that some of the great encouragements have come out of what we've lost in terms of what our, our kind of realisation of what we had um, as we gather together each week physically and the value of corporate worship and um, our togetherness. Um, so that's been a great encouragement that, that people are longing to <laughs> get back together, really. Um, and at the same time, the discouragement comes when our fellowship is basically mediated through a screen and I have to preach into a little green dot every week or whenever I preach. Um, and that's just really hard and quite sad, to be honest. Um, and again, um, with Chris, um, that's all that said you know it has also woken us up to some of the issues faced by housebound members of the church and those um, restricted by physical disabilities and so on and um, it's been a, a joy and privilege to care for them during this time as a, as a church um, but also we, we long to do that better going forward. Mm, absolutely we talked last week on the podcast about um, a little bit about how having uh, all our social interactions more or less mediated uh, online has has shaped some of our relationships and the way that we go. So I'll put a little link, um, certainly if you're on YouTube, I'll put a little link there um, to last week's episode. If you've not watched that, you might want to uh, check that out. Um, Chris, you mentioned that your church has, has begun to start, or at least one of your churches, I don't know quite how this works, but you can tell us, uh, start using the buildings again and getting back together. Just tell us um, what that's looking like at the moment. Are you back to a sort of a normal pattern of Sunday services or a restricted pattern or uh, what have you been doing? We're back to a normal-ish pattern. Um, so all of the churches are ready to go. Um, the way that the, ben the benefits population is 2,200, so it's not enormous. Uh, of that 2,200, 1,000 live in Foundhope, which is the village where I live in. It's where the rector is. So that church is being open now every Sunday. Um, and then I'm opening... Um, Woolhope, which is my next largest building every Sunday as well. And then the three smaller churches we're doing once a month. We're going to try this for July and August just to see how that goes. Um, so, But we're back to fairly normal services from that point of view. And we also do our midweek communion service now as well. And have you found that most people that you would have expected to, to see have been coming to building? Are there people still shielding and vulnerable and, and sort of unwilling to come back? Um, have you had new people join you? How has that gone? Um, we've had a, a, I would say, I'm just trying to think now, I would say probably about three quarters or sort of 60, 
about two thirds, three quarters have actually come back into the building for the services. I mean, Found Hope itself, uh, our regular congregation on a Sunday would be sort of 40 to 45. And we've been having 30 uh, come there. And that works because in rural areas where we've got these enormous old buildings, you know, we've been socially distancing for years. So we can fit the people in quite easily. And and that works. I've been very Um, jealous of people with those sort of small congregations in large buildings lately. Because, you know, in my church, we've got huge congregation in a tiny building that we never fit in normally so you know it's going to take us for a while to get back to that so that's been that's good that um, people there and in terms of the services uh do they look quite similar to what you're able to do before obviously we're not able to have uh congregational singing in the same sort of way um have you had to make other alterations to to what you actually do when you get together the services of all, uh, the, the liturgy has been the same, uh, say to the congregations of prayer book. So we do that and that's, that's, it is what it is. And the common worship service we do is quite uh, liturgical, it's quite, looks quite prayer book like anyway. And so we've used those. Um, we've had the organist at all the services before and after they've played sort of medleys of hymns that people would know. And we've also had a hymn played uh, at a point during the service and, encouraged people to sort of read through some have muttered along some have hummed i've got one rebellious chap who sings lustily but we're trying to sort him out um but basically that's that's how we've tried to do it we we i don't want to put too many hymns in because it gets awkward but equally people have liked that opportunity just to have because often the hymns are a time to daydream they're a time to stand up and stretch and the time to sort of do other things as well so i've tried to keep that in yeah interesting jake have you been able to get back into your buildings yet or not no to be honest we're not quite in the same place as chris um when lockdown when we went into lockdown um i think we were running on adrenaline really and our life was marked by a lot of activity and trying to get up and running and so on so um quite honestly we're just we're um we're we're struggling for um energy and and wisdom in this um bearing in mind the constraints of our our building so we're not able to fit everyone in at the same time socially distanced so we've got um some chats coming up pcc are meeting in the week uh, tonight actually to talk about it and um our aim is to move towards um getting back somewhere soon but um there's a lot of uncertainty and expectations are mixed so we're finding our finding our way more slowly i think yeah it's it's difficult isn't it and and the sort of you know it's not just the kind of could we physically do it but have we got the capacity to do the cleaning or sort out the you know tracking who's there and you know the, all the sort of logistics around it are are still pretty daunting and if you're particularly you know even in chris you're saying in your situation maybe two thirds to three quarters are able to be back in church you still want to be providing for those who can't and if you're in the sort of situation where it's going to be a much smaller proportion who are able to be in the building you absolutely still need to be providing for those who can't and so it's not kind of switching to a different method it's adding in a whole lot more isn't it potentially it's saying we're still going to keep having to do the online stuff and also do in-person stuff and that that's a big ask I think I went to a wedding on Saturday which was exciting um 
so we had a, a couple uh she's part of our, our church family and they they got married on saturday and uh the service was live streamed and it didn't go brilliantly because the internet in the church building is not as great as it as it could be uh but it was lovely but it was really interesting to to kind of watch how they done it and, and one thing they done was um they did have hymns and people stood up and i think you're exactly right chris that the hymns provide a sort of moment in the service don't they which it, you know feels different so everybody stood up and they just had one soloist standing sort of right up at the front of the church near the table sort of you know at least 20 feet away from the next nearest person and she sang beautifully and I think that again also just helped people whether they were doing that sort of mentally running through the hymn themselves or or whatever you know even if they were sort of humming along to feel like they have that so there are different ways of doing it but it it isn't going to be straightforward and it it doesn't feel like what we're used to perhaps um, one of the things I do really want to, to commend to people uh, in this is uh, Andrew Cinnamon wrote a blog post for us uh, on the Church website last week about, because one of the things that hymns do is, is give people in the congregation a chance to participate. You know, you're, you're saying it. And Chris, you mentioned that, that you sort of have quite liturgical services anyway, but not everybody has been in, <laughs> in churches where that's been the normal habit. And, and I really want to encourage people to say, well, actually, this is a great moment to say, even if it's not been our tradition, we should be doing more of that spoken liturgy um, that does give people in the congregation a chance to participate and stand up and say what they believe, even if uh, they can't sing it. So that might be a, a thing that uh, could come out of this a bit more. I'd hope so. I mean, I'd, if, 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 if we just consider the benefits of recovering that theological and liturgical heritage as a, you know, as a culture within Anglican evangelicalism, that, that would be wonderful. Um, you know, the reality is services weren't casually thrown together in the past. Um, they weren't just driven by what works. You know, they were carefully crafted. They fostered love and worship of the triune God. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're in the shape of the gospel. Um, yeah. They contain, you know, key tenets of the faith that are passed down from generation to generation. Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, Creed. There's a givenness to them um, that I think perhaps we've lost but it does require sort of confidence and time in that and maybe this enforced period of um spoken more you know spoken practice will will, will benefit benefit us in the long run and and one of the things people often uh, say if they're not not quite so convinced of the value of liturgy is the the sort of repetition but actually i think again this period of time has shown us how valuable something that is familiar can be and the comfort that you get from saying the same thing that you've always said and knowing that it's as true as it has always been um yeah so i i hope that will be, will be something that that maybe again isn't something that's just for now but actually maybe has a longer term uh benefit in many churches i wonder and it may be too early to begin to say this but but maybe you have thoughts on this already whether we can sort of assess what what have been some of the spiritual effects of this period of being apart physically from our churches um for the for our churches and and the congregations but also particularly the sort of um effects that this is having on people who are pastors who are ministers um and the sort of emotional burden it's been an exhausting time i think for many many people 
but it's also been a, a completely unexpected way of having to do ministry or try to do ministry. And yeah, I, d- I don't know whether either of you have thoughts on, on sort of how you may be feeling, how you think maybe uh, colleagues or contemporaries or peers may be feeling and, and how we can, uh, yeah, sort of speak some of those things that maybe people are uh, afraid to admit publicly. Um, JD, you have, you have thoughts on this, I know. We've talked about this a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I do really. I, I think it really does depend on how you see what this time is. Um, and for some, you know, lots, is, lots has been said about how the Lord might be using this in terms of mission opportunities in the church. And praise God if that's the case. That's that's mm-hmm. wonderful. But lockdown has also been a deeply humbling experience. And I don't think there's any need to be triumphalist about it. Um I personally have seen it more as a time of spiritual exile um, or displacement from our our place and setting of, of rest. And so generally speaking, I think the missing note in the Anglican Evangelical Church, at least, is sorrow and lament, mm-hmm. um, not just because of our physical circumstances, but spiritually speaking, in the Lord's providential care of us, um, you know, how you know how might this time be a means of the lord's discipline you know how should we treat it should we treat it as a period of frenetic activity or should we be using it to examine ourselves our attitudes our assumptions our practices um it's certainly exposed fragility and mortality and led to deep and meaningful conversations about things like death or prayer fasting um but yeah i've been really struck by how the church in times past hasn't reacted with activism but in periods like this it's been more marked by patience and and prayer Um, yeah i think it's very interesting i think there has been the sort of prevailing trend that i've seen has been we must put a brave face on this we must make the most of these opportunities we must see this as you know new things opening up um and much less of that what has been shutting down and what what have been the uh, struggles with that. I don't know, Chris, whether you have thoughts on, on that. We, I used, before we went into lockdown, but as this was all starting off, I used to use the, the prayer book Collect in Times of Plague and Common Sickness uh, in the services, which is a very penitential collect and it talks about the plagues visited on Israel in the past and our, our need for repentance. And so I have felt that this period really. Um, could have been or maybe should have been a, a period of repentance for individuals in the church ourselves but also church corporate as the things that we've done it's very easy to point the finger elsewhere but um and when i the first sermon i preached uh, eight days ago or whatever when i came back is i i in, in good sort of evangelical fashion i suppose i changed the gospel reading but preached on the tower of siloam you know whose fault is it well we don't know but repent otherwise it might happen to you and was really caught trying to say there what do we need to repent of um in that i think it has been i think it's been a period which is and you said this Jake but it's been a period which has really exposed the weaknesses that we've had in our model of church or uh, in our assumptions about church and it has stripped us back to our core and asked, made us ask the question what is important about what is ministry in all of this um, I mean, I've, I've got I chair governing bodies of two church schools that's taken an awful lot of time because of course obviously with the children coming back and all the rest of that 
is that core to my ministry? Is it not? Um, what is my role in that as a Christian minister in that situation, not just a chair of governors? So I think it's been a time, I've certainly found it a time of, of reflecting on, on what, what is ministry, uh, which I hope will carry on you know, to go through. Mm, I think, I mean, it, it strikes me there are at least two things that as evangelicals uh, in the UK, we have not valued highly um, that the Lord has just stripped away from us. So so the sacraments, and I think there's been a lot of conversation about that, and it's been very striking how that has been uh, such a focus of, of conversation. And I'm not sure, I think some of that's come out of a right hunger for the sacrament, and some of it seems to me to be prompted more by a how dare those bishops tell us what to do attitude, which may not be quite as godly. Um, but the other thing that we have, I think, undervalued as christians as evangelicals in the uk is is our places and you know that thing of our churches are just glorified rain shelters well i mean yes but also that they are places that are full of history and you know there's something about going to the same place each week to do the same things that god uses and you know that that's why he gives people in the old testament land that is theirs in perpetuity through the generations so that it bears witness to what how god has been faithful to your family through the generations and yeah actually it turns out not being able to be in our church buildings is quite a a hard and and difficult thing i quite agree i I think there's a lot of sort of hidden Gnosticism in our um, communities and, um, you know, more serious theological reflection needs to be done on physicality of corporate worship. And, you know, it's easy to say the church is not the building, it's the people. But scripturally speaking, you know, embodied, the embodied assembly of God's people is an essential, not incidental part of church worship. And, you know, it, it anticipates the resurrection reality as well of our physical incorporation into christ um so i i quite agree amen yeah, to all I, you said, that, yeah. I think that's right you know and, and we know this don't we we know that listening to a sermon online is not the same as being in the the room with the person preaching it to us looking us in the eye as he does so um but yeah may, maybe there's something there in in what is it that we need to learn well what is it that god stripped away from us during this time um that that we need to learn about that and i wonder as well as we just think about how this feels for you know both of you talked about sort of reevaluating what ministry is and what's important i i think as we sort of go beyond this this sort of initial crisis time there are there is going to be potentially quite a big fallout for ministers i i think people may already be feeling some of these things but sort of just pushing it down and getting on with it week by week. But I think there will be people feeling guilty that they weren't able to do more. There'll be people worrying that actually theirs will be the only church that has declined during lockdown. Um, There'll be people afraid, uh, particularly because of all the news about redundancies and and clergy cuts and that sort of thing. And I wonder what, what should we be doing in sort of anticipation that this may be a really difficult six to 12 months or, or even longer potentially for people in ministry and and how can we help people be resilient through that really difficult time? Yes, interesting, isn't it? I think, I mean, I've experienced with, with others in my patch that those who 
haven't reopened. I mean, we, re- we reopened straight away, but it was easy for us to do that. But where others haven't, and the city churches, which are fuller, have found it more difficult to do. Uh, I'm just fortunate my congregation spread across many buildings. But there is a great sense of guilt there. And I think there is an angst there that they will be viewed as being lazy or, or whatever else there is. There is a lot of financial um, problems which are being um, exposed by this. I and mean, even in my little patch, uh, one of my churches, uh, Brockhampton, beautiful arts and craft churches. We've got uh, Burns Jones tapestries. We've got William Morris carvings. And we would have lost throughout this year about £9,000 worth of income from tourism. Uh, and that, that will really... But we've, we've got reserves, so it's not the end of the world. And they're there for a rainy day and it's raining. So in a sense, that's fine. But other churches, it's really exposed their financial weaknesses. And in our diocese, a high proportion of our congregations are in single figures. And some of them, I just can't see how they will survive. So what do we do? Well, I think in the end, it's... I mean, I the view I've taken maybe is that if I'm sure of what my calling is as a minister of the gospel, if I feel I'm being faithful in the way that I've done that, then I've done what I can and I will leave the rest to God, Um, which sounds very pious, I know, but it's the kind of where I've ended up. And I think, but I think there will be people and many people have been on enforced sabbaticals, really. And everybody, when they go on sabbatical, the first thing they do when they come back is hand their notice in and go to another church. So there'll be plenty of that, I'm sure, around. A busy time for the board of patronages and all the rest of it. But I think there is there is a problem of guilt. And I think it has to be said as well that um, I'm fortunate in being in a rural area. My combined congregation is 120, but it's split over many buildings. We are liturgical. We are used to said liturgy. I don't have any admin staff. It's only me here. There's no other ministry. It's just me. So it means, though, that I've been it's been easy for me to carry on through this period. But I think for the churches, and maybe in Banbury, this is where you are, uh, the churches which have got staff, where the things are uh, busier, where you've got music groups, where you're more technologically driven, that's been a harder thing for people to carry on doing. And we do need to acknowledge that. But for good old fashioned rural ministry, this is being straightforward. Yes, and I think that's a really interesting observation there, Chris, that actually it's sort of in some ways has um, inverted how we normally see things. Often we would see those bigger churches, the larger staff teams, you know, the full congregations as the places where it's easy to do ministry, where there's lots going on, where God is doing much. And actually, you're right, those are the places that have had it in some way hardest things have been turned upside down for them much more than in some of the places we we might have tended to look at and think well you know what what's going on there and the other thing um that you said and i think this is the thing i want to keep saying loudly as possible it is the lord who builds his church um and and so we must keep trusting that and not feel that if things have failed, if things have declined, if people have not returned who we thought should have returned to our churches, um, you know, if we're worried about money, if we're worried about redundancies, well, okay, but it is the Lord who builds his church, yeah. And this isn't an answer to all of those very real practical needs and, and difficulties, but seeing our ministries as participating in Christ's ministry as well, just as our identity is found in him, um, will, 
uh, give us safer ground than you know seeing those things as detached um i i can't recommend highly enough a book i've read this year it, this is okay to do yeah, let's, we can um, move into the time of recommendations oh right want. okay <laughs> well it was recommended to me by some some friends um yeah. alden and ben but um it's living in union with christ by grant mccaskill okay and um it's a beautiful hope-filled book about um how our union with christ affects or our, our ministry lives and helps us to um see everything in relation to him everything constituted by him um it and it really diagnoses uh, diagnoses and kind of dissects our cultures uh, perhaps sort of hidden legalism um in terms of seeing uh, um, things as a means to an end or um our ministries as commodities to gain control in some way or whatever but it's it's not meant to be a destruction of the way we operate but it really is a hope-filled beautiful um help to to us as christian ministers um so i'd highly commend that as as something to um yeah. to perhaps do that reflection yeah, and again, if that's the thing that comes out of this is people doing much more of that reflection on where is their hope, where is their identity, where is their sense of success and, and so on, I'm, I'm finding that in the Lord rather than in external things, that would be a wonderful thing. Well, again, no doubt these are conversations we will continue to keep having, but it does feel as though we, we sort of turned a corner in the last couple of weeks into a slightly different phase. So it's interesting to hear sort of reflections on how that's going and, and the implications of that um but let's share jake have you got anything else that you wanted to uh, recommend to us other than big tome on theology um the other thing uh, i was going to point out is if you're a, a junior anglican evangelical um we've got a conference called jake um and named after jake yeah not quite but mark smith is doing two mm. sessions um one sort of more seminarish and um another one um, but he's doing a, a session on leading a service, which would really tie into some of the discussions we've had, I think. And he's also doing a session on rich liturgy, which I'm really looking forward to attending. So if you're in that category of people, perhaps sign up and, Great. and, um, and do that. And the last one was um, just in terms of what we talked about in terms of worship and everything else. Um, the Jonathan Gibson and mm. Mark... Ungi. Ungi, sorry. Mark. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, edited book, Ref Reformation Worship, which Brilliant. just, you know, gets in, into the, the, the deep things of our theological heritage. Brilliant. Um, thank you for doing my advert for me. Uh, if you are a lay person, uh, whether or not you do work for the church or you just go to church, if you are an ordinand in training, if you are a curate or if you're in your first couple of years of uh, being an incumbent, then you are eligible uh, to come to Jake. And this year it's all online and it's all free. Uh, there is details on the Church Church website and I'll put a link in the, the programme notes for this as well. We would love to have you join us. And yeah, Mark Smith's sessions, planning service and, and rich literature, I'm sure will be excellent. Uh, Chris, do you have anything that you've been enjoying that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I got carried away. I've got loads. Brilliant. Um, 
this book I read last year, All Things Back to Front, All Things for Good uh, by Thomas Watson, who um, a 17th century Puritan. This is produced by the Banner of Truth, but you can get it as an ebook for free at various places as well. I read it last year and I used bits of it in this these daily emails because suddenly the great kind of crushing, I've got to think of something else, uh, comes through. And whenever I would use some of that or put a quote in from there, people responded very positively to it. And it's and it's simply saying if if God works for good in all things for those who love him, well then God is using the pandemic for good. And where do we find the goodness of God in COVID, say? So it, it's, it doesn't shy away from that. It doesn't shy away that God is good even when things are going bad. So that one's certainly well worth a look. I've also got um, a bit of a bugbear. I think a lot of our theological debates in the good old ship, the, the Church of England, over in current situations... What they demonstrate to me is that we've lost a lot of what used to be understood as the classical understandings of God, that God is changeless, that God does not have passions or, you know, the first nine articles, God hath no parts. This is a very good book that deal, none greater by uh, Matthew Barrett, that deals with these sorts of classical bits of our understanding of the nature of God. And I think they're foundational. And I think we'll find that a lot of our issues in the C of E come down to the fact that we've forgotten some of these and they're not taught uh, very often in the seminaries. Two more. Um, <laughs> This book I read um, at the beginning of lockdown, just the best book I read on uh, biblical theology, um, I would say, ever. It's uh, Michael Morales, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord, A Biblical Theology of the Book of Leviticus. This will do you good. But it's an an extraordinary book just for tracing themes from Genesis through to Revelation. Just an extraordinarily good book. And then the final thing is a thing, not a book. Um, During lockdown, I have finally, finally um, encountered Sabbath, keeping Sabbath, the importance of keeping the Sabbath, the benefit of keeping it, that the Sabbath is a day given to the Lord, to the enjoyment of the Lord. And that, if I hope, if I pray, I can carry anything through from the lockdown into the rest of my life. It is proper proper sabbath wonderful wonderful actually i um mentioned on the podcast a couple of months ago i'd been reading uh, the ruthless elimination of hurry by john mark homer and uh completely separately a, a friend of mine messaged me last week so i've been reading but i think you'd really like it. it's called the ruthless elimination of hurry. i'm like okay anyway we had a chat about it yesterday and the thing that both of us had really taken from the book was uh the way that he speaks about sabbath and um you know and it made me think again about how do i keep sabbath and so on but one of the things i loved about it he talks about every week he and his family will say to each other, you know, what's been the highlight of your week? And he says, it's really boring because every week I say the same. It's the Sabbath. And I thought, how do I make, yeah, Sabbath to be the highlight of the week? Be a great thing. Um, good. Uh, I just have one thing this week and I feel slightly bad about recommend, recommending this because I'm still in the middle of it. But uh, American Gospel, some people may well have seen this. It came out a couple of years ago. Uh, there's an hour long version that's free on YouTube. But also if you've got Amazon Prime, uh, it is on Amazon Prime, I think. I don't know. I feel like someone said it was on Netflix as well. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, the the sort of longer version is available if you've got some kind of paid subscription, but the free version as well. And I think it would be quite easy to watch it and think, gosh, that American church is awful. They've got the gospel all wrong. But I, I am very struck watching it by how much of 
the what what is clearly problematical the legalism and the moralism and the uh, aspects of the prosperity gospel um are things which are uh, creeping in our churches as well and distorting so that the gospel is not always a gospel at all um so yeah really interesting um uh, film i think the the sort of full length version is sort of two and a half hours uh, but really well worth uh, your time uh, looking that out Great. Thank you both so much uh, for joining us this week. I just wanted to let people know that there won't be a podcast next week uh, because I'm on holiday. um, And uh, during August, I'm not sure uh, there won't be a podcast every week. There may be one or two, uh, but we'll be back with our sort of normal regular schedule uh, in September. Thank you so much for watching or listening. Don't forget, if you haven't already, subscribe, uh, rate, review, leave us a comment, uh, tell us uh, what you're enjoying and share the podcast uh, with anyone you think might be interested. Thanks so much.